1: friends to infertility and me podcast a safe space created with the silent sufferer in mind i am podcast is dedicated to infertility advocacy and sharing diverse stories to help you feel validated seen and heard i am your host monique farouk and i am one in eight two healing is best when done together friend. Could you please do me the honor of leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple iTunes? This will increase our show's ranking and reach more friends who may be silently suffering with infertility too. We're stronger together, staying connected, getting plugged in. for coming back on the show for a second time and I I appreciate you coming on the first time. A lot of people really enjoyed that episode on shame and how to deal with it. So that was, that was a huge blessing for a lot of the listeners. So I appreciate you for coming back and, uh, let's talk about some toxic positivity. (laughs) Girl, you know, this will get me fired up. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like where do we even begin? Right? Like, uh, it's so much we could say. So much toxic positivity in you know when you're dealing with infertility and fertility issues, especially when we're talking about like mm-hmm. dealing with people that we're close to, colleagues and family and friends right. and everything. It's you don't even re- they don't even realize they're doing it. I don't think. Yeah. So kind of like level set what toxic positivity
2: is. Is um, I like to think of it as the socialization and cultural messaging that essentially tells us that no matter how dire or difficult a situation is, people should remain in a positive mindset, and the way I think about toxic positivity is it's actually like, like on two different fronts, right, so there's a the toxic positivity that you get from other people, and then there's the toxic positivity that you kind of force feed yourself as well, um, and so I think it's important to like recognize that there, that it's kind of an attack on both fronts if you think about it that way.
1: Yeah. But yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad you broke down the definition of toxic positivity from a professional and uh, mental health standpoint, and how 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 where do we even begin to try and I guess we have to teach family and friends a little bit about why it's it's it's
2: it's toxic. I mean, I think there is certainly an element of education that we need to provide. Um, And I'm all about education and awareness. What I am most concerned with is kind of on an individual level, recognizing not because when we talk about like friends and family, that's pretty overt stuff, right? It's it's the, Mm -hmm. well, just be positive crap and all that. So it's, that's much more in your face. But the thing that I always think about is like, what are the subliminal messages that we're receiving from culture, from social media is a, is a huge, um, contributing factor to this idea of toxic positivity because social media plays such a huge role in our day-to-day lives that it. it it almost just becomes part of our, our cultural speak, our vernacular to incorporate things that influencers say. Now, influencers become influencers because they represent this idealistic view of the world that we kind of all have. Um, And there's, it's not really put through a filter of, oh, this is a reasonable thing for most people, right? It's like, oh no, this is truly an aspirational thing for most people. Um, and so, you know, where I spend a lot of my time thinking about toxic positivity is like dismantling that idea, that ideal really, um, of what we get from social media, because once we're able to like see it and see the crap that, that we just kind of regurgitate without thinking, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, I think that's a huge component and, you know, I say this on my podcast all the time. We're not taught about negative emotions, right? And and toxic positivity I consider to be an avoidance technique. Um, and what I mean by that is that when you yourself or someone around you will use toxic positivity, the the good vibes only, or choose happiness, or whatever crap you're you're talking about will use that as a way to avoid either feeling uncomfortable, you feeling uncomfortable as a person. You'll say like, I just need to think positive thoughts or whatever, or it's the person you're talking to who doesn't want to feel uncomfortable because of whatever you're talking about. And I think that's why it's so such a huge thing in the infertility space is because the things that we talk about, right? The things that we bring to light are incredibly uncomfortable for a lot of people.
1: hmm Yeah. I, I totally, totally, totally agree. And especially when we're talking about, like, the infertility online communities or fertility communities, um, you know, it almost becomes like this, this large rabbit hole of information. And sometimes... Well, probably 50% of the time we can't control what's on the timeline or our feed that we see when we're scrolling. And so, you know, there are things like muting certain pages or, you know, unfollowing people and stuff like that. But um, ah, it's a lot. It's a lot to take on when you're dealing with infertility and uh, loss and things like that and and trying to not censor, but control, uh, how you react and what information you are allowing yourself to take in.
2: Yeah. I, Mm. and I think that that brings up such a good point in that, like in the infertility community, there's this unspoken rule that with no baby, you're sad and unhappy and things are bad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And with a baby, you're happy and things are good. And so, and it's not, It's again, it's, it's very unconscious that we do this. And I don't think it's a problem, except that it, it becomes a little bit of a problem when people are kind of caught in that in-between, right? And, yeah. and mm-hmm. this idea that this baby is going to be the thing that makes us happy. And so when we're, when we're kind of grappling with all of the the grief and the loss and all of these things that come with, um, infertility, it really toxic positivity from either front, from someone else to you or you to yourself, it really limits your ability to actually experience the negative, the, the 50% of your life that is kind of inherently negative. Like, I do believe that life is 50-50. 50% of the time, it's going to be amazing and joy-filled and fun. And 50% of the time, it's going to hurt like hell. It's going to be uncomfortable. And there are things there that you're not going to want. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. that certainly goes away against like conventional wisdom, who are like, no, we should be happy all the time. Well, how's that working out for you guys?
1: <laughs> it's not working too well for me. <laughs> Hello, especially during COVID, like crazy. <laughs>
2: And so it, it again speaks to this idea that there is a way that life should be led, right? That there's, there are things that you, uh, choose happiness is one of the, one of the sticky wickets that I get into. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm from Texas. You just saw that come through. Um, Um, because it's a catch 22. Like I believe that our thoughts create our feelings. So I do believe there is a way to, quote unquote choose happiness. But in the way that it's kind of thrown out there, it's it's like this just cliche that's like, hey, I don't want to deal with the fact that you're unhappy. And so I'm just gonna tell you how to that you can choose happiness and walk away after I drop that bomb. And then you're left to feel usually it's shame, usually it's guilt. Usually it's um, not enough. Like I can't do these things that people say should come easy. Um, and so that's that's the bigger problem with toxic positivity is what it creates around you.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And one thing you just said that made me think of is the word dismissive came up. And what I mean by that is the the saying of, choose happiness or you know of course we all know that it is a choice to some extent Um, but it's also expected that you would be sad or depressed when you have a medical condition right and so like you said I think it's a very fine line in, in in affirmations and or ways of thinking when you're dealing with a medical issue not saying that you're supposed to you know, wallow in despair either at the same time, because let's be, it's, you know, it's, it's unhealthy. All of it is really unhealthy. And, um, yeah, it's it's a lot of dismissiveness. I don't know. In toxic positivity.
2: It is very, it's dismissive either way. You're either dismissing Mm -hmm. your experience as a person or you're uh, dismissing someone else's experience as a person.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right? There's no opportunity for us to be humans with one another because people are just throwing out these, these platitudes without actually like genuinely allowing someone to have an emotion is probably one of the biggest, um, I mean, not, not to sound too dramatic, but one of the biggest plights of our interpersonal communication Right. So even if you just think of like your, your partner, how many times can you think of when your partner gets upset, you get upset. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of just mm-hmm. letting them have that, like they get to be upset. Definitely. They're their own person.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so that's, that is really interwoven in this idea of toxic positivity is that people don't get to have this discomfort. People don't get to experience Um, pain and sadness when Mm -hmm, that is, mm -hmm, those -hmm. are two of the most human experiences that we have. Um, and, and again, that comes from both sides, like you not allowing yourself to experience those feelings and then people just throwing out these, these, I kind of refer to them sometimes as throwaway terms, right? It doesn't mean anything. You're just kind of tossing some BS out like, um, you know, good vibes only. I mean, that, that statement in and it, in it of itself makes me want to kind of throat punch people. Huh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Cause it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. And neither does, um, the other one that we often use a lot as a term of like endearment or a statement of endearment that really doesn't mean anything and doesn't make anybody feel better is I can't imagine. Oh, you oh. know, mm-hmm.
2: um, one of my clients, she's, Absolutely wonderful. Um, so I want to say about three years ago, she lost her mother. And I I, th- I, I don't know the specifics, but I think it was after a, an illness. And um, we were just talking about this the other day. So it's so funny that you said that. Um, she said, you know, one thing that I can't stand is after my mom died, when people would say to me, I can't even imagine. Because it seems um, it seems like a pretty statement. Like you're like you're empathizing. It seems like a compassionate statement when really the person who's hurting is like, well, good for you. I'm so glad you can't even imagine when this is my, you know, effing reality right now. Um, and I think that that's so indicative of our culture to not fully engage with the person you're actually talking to. Right. So, um, Uh, one of my clients, uh, she is in Australia and she loves it. How, when she, she works for, uh, a company that's based out of Houston, Texas. And she says, no matter what, every time I communicate with my coworkers, um, they always start the conversation with how are you doing? But it's not like a request of genuine concern. Mm -hmm, It's just mm -hmm. like a conversation starter And nobody expects you to be like, well, actually, Mm -hmm. I'm feeling really depressed right now. And, you know, no one expects to answer that question in a genuine way. It's like, oh, good. How are you?
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's not specific enough. Like, how are you really doing? Like, are you emotionally okay? You know, do you have a lot of you have enough food in your house? You know, like, yeah, it's not specific at all. At all. right, Right. And
2: it's, you know, it's it's just a another example of kind of the disconnection. Of our communities. Um, and I mean, that's that's just been ever evolving over the, the last 10, 15 years as technology and social media has just been um, such an enormous part of our daily lives is that we mm-hmm. have this beautifully polished and curated view of other people's lives, right? We're, we're looking at the highlight reels, not the behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, definitely the filtered for the filtered version.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes. And the highlight reels doesn't tell you anything about the person. It just tells you that they can take a great picture from a great angle or that, you know, this, this one thing that happened and they were able to overcome it. And, um, You know, I pride myself on being a very pragmatic and realistic person. Like I don't expect my clients to come to me. I I don't, I make sure that my clients know to not expect to come to me for absolute authority over what we're talking about. Like I have to do a lot of the stuff that I tell my clients to do, but that's not the image that we get. And that's, that's just so much, so much of the reason the toxic positivity has just taken like it's almost like taking hold of our culture over the last mm-hmm. oh I don't know, like five years and just with a vice grip won't let go.
1: And I think it does have a lot to do with um, you know, people trying to be more mindful about their mind their mind health and their emotional health and being in tune with themselves and which is fine. But it also you gotta be really careful with yourself too, because even telling yourself these things is just as toxic as somebody making a comment or saying something, you know, that's not appropriate to someone dealing with infertility. It's, it's all very, just very, de- very de- uh, delicate. And, and you really have to be careful that you aren't forcing yourself to be something that you're not in just going through the motions.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I love that you brought that up because Uh, You know, I'm, I'm a mindset coach, so I focus my efforts on the conversation that you have with yourself in your head. Like that's where I think the work of the world is overlooked and how you can make your life better and more meaningful and, and all these things, right? That's where I focus. And that's why I think, um, toxic positivity is one of the most damaging things that we can do to ourselves, Right. I am of the opinion that and I know this isn't a shared opinion by everyone and it's totally fine, but I am of the opinion that we can't make people do anything. So even if we tell someone, you know, when when mm-hmm. you tell me mm-hmm. um, just to keep positive, I make that mean that I'm not doing enough to become a parent or whatever. Right. Um, so we can't control the stupid things that people say, the inappropriate things that people say, the nosy things that people say, but when we use it against ourselves, that is where so much of our pain comes from, right? Because if we're supposed to be positive and yet we are facing, let's say a failed transfer, it's really hard to get to positivity when Mm -hmm. you are like staring down the barrel of your upcoming cycle, or you were just told by the nurse that your beta was negative. It, in fact, you could be Pollyanna and still not find a, a positive moment out of that. And that, that like that, the understanding is that that's okay. That you don't have to find a silver lining. You don't have to force yourself to positivity that you, that it's okay to experience that sadness without layering on the, well, I should be grateful that we even got this opportunity, or I should be grateful that we even had something to transfer. Or I, anytime Mm -hmm. you use the word Mm -hmm. should is like Mm -hmm. a giant red flag that, that you're forcing yourself to think a
1: certain way. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. That's that's really good, really really good. Mm. And um,
2: you know, as as we, as we kind of talk about the experience of humans, I think this idea that this the pressure to feel and look okay, right, quote unquote okay. It really, if we're not if we're not feeling okay if we're feeling sad if we're feeling angry if we're feeling any range of emotion outside of okay or good it can kind of give us this impression that we are defective right there's something wrong with us and um you know for i think for a lot of women i know certainly the women that i've crossed paths with there is this sense of inadequacy like i'm not good enough is probably a running narrative for most people, let alone most women. And so when we talk about, you know, toxic positivity, it, it really does feed that internal narrative, right? And it, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it feeds this monster. Um, I, I, I call it a couple of different things, but um, it kind of feeds that the monster of the a-hole brain that you have, that tells you all of these negative things. And so when you have a situation where your feelings and thoughts don't align with what you think should, with how you think you should think or how you think you should feel or how other people are telling you you should think or how other people are telling you you should feel, right? It's so much easier to place the blame on yourself that there's something wrong with you as opposed to, oh, this is just something culturally we've done over the past 10 and 15 years and longer. Um, And it's not actually, there's not actually anything wrong with me. I'm allowed to feel this way. Um, And then it just makes other people uncomfortable.
1: You know, now that people are starting to get
0: vaccinations,
1: and I just always think about we're getting vaccinations and soon everybody will be, you know, will be in a place where, it'll be safe to go what I mean even now where it's safe to be in a home a private space with people without masks if everybody's been vaccinated fully and Mm -hmm. you know people who are vaccinated fully feel more comfortable going out into public and going into restaurant spaces and things like that and so I just always think about how are we going to be better moving forward Mm -hmm what 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 are we going to do that's different than before that's going to put us in a better position to communicate better more effectively and with more empathy and also doing so for ourselves too
2: yeah i mean i love that you think in those terms because that's that's very much this this idea of like how can we do better and because of the type of work that i do i want i always challenge my clients and people that i talk to like where is your level of responsibility and i'm not and that that isn't to cast a blame at all but the the knowledge and the understanding that we don't get to control the other humans so what can you do to make yourself be better do better say better think better and i believe that that genuinely Always, always, always starts from a place of compassion for yourself. It is so much easier to be compassionate towards other people. I know, I know sometimes in this climate, it doesn't seem like this because it seems like uh, compassion is in pretty short supply for a lot of people. Um, but it yeah. really is easier for us to be more compassionate towards other people and to show empathy f- towards other people but grace and compassion is even is is an even shorter supply mm-hmm. for ourselves mm-hmm. and um you know when we talk about if we talk about posit, talk to, toxic positivity in conversations with people um i will I, I you know i'm a little bit more of a defiant personality that's just <laughs> it's just part of part of what makes me me um and so i even t- i when I was going through, uh, primary infertility and I was hearing all the right. Um, I think I posted the other day on, um, someone, someone was asking like, what's the worst thing you ever heard? And, um, it was my mother-in-law's friend had asked my husband if he was going to do his manly duty and get me pregnant. Wow. And, I remember very distinctly, she, we, it was my husband and I standing next to her while she asked us. And I remember very distinctly, like, I, I deserve better for myself than to engage in this type of conversation. Mm. And that in that moment, I didn't realize it at the time was that I was showing myself compassion, rather than either smiling and giggling awkwardly at the, at the question, which I have done also, like there's nothing wrong
1: with that. Sometimes that's just Um, a natural reaction.
2: Right. Right. Oh, I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) That's funny. That's a funny way to say that. Um, or just getting out outright angry, um, which I have also done. Believe me, when I say that I cover all the bases, I really do. Um, (laughs) But most importantly for me, like I realized I owed it to myself to not let her words upset me. Um, and I think that that's, if we're able to accept responsibility for what our role is, and in those situations, our role is what do we owe it to ourselves to do? What can I do to safeguard myself? Now, Is that smiling and laughing awkwardly so you can rush out of the restaurant? That's totally fine. Mm -hmm. Is that getting angry and belligerent? That's totally fine too. But it's just a question of how do you want to show up in the world? Because the more that you show up as you, the better off this world's going to be regardless.
1: Yep. And I think that's the key. That if we learn how we react to the negative negativity of the world or You know, in our immediate lives and stuff. If we can control how we react to those things, then I definitely feel like it does make it easier because I always feel like, especially having been in this thing, this infertility thing for eight years, right? I'm like, okay, look. I know that people are going to say certain things. I know that people are ignorant to infertility in many, many ways and what it really is, what it means as a medical diagnosis and the seriousness of it, right? And so if I can come into a situation where people are going to say things that are going to rub me the wrong way, even in the thick of this thing, I think the hardest part that we learn in the midst of infertility is knowing what to expect knowing that I already am going to expect these things from people. And then, so how can I control how I react to what it is that they're saying and not expecting them to know how to deal with me when they've never experienced what I've experienced?
2: Quite literally the only thing that we have control over. And, um... I think it was Maya Angelou. I can't remember the I'm I would butcher the exact quote. Um, but it's basically people you show people how they can treat you.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, and I like she said it much more much, much more eloquently than I can. Um girl, any she's of my us. Angelou. Okay, any of us. <laughs> <laughs> um but I think I I a hundred percent agree with you. Like if the only thing that we can control is our behavior, our reaction, the words that we say, the things that we do, then, then what do we owe to ourselves? So um, I'm trying to remember. There was a, a, a client that I had. She had um, she was just finishing up one transfer that had failed. She had one on ice, and she was telling this friend that she had gone to school with that she was nervous to transfer that last embryo, right? It was kind of like her last vestige of hope, um, not literally, because she knew she could do other ones. but in her mind, that's what she had kind of created around this, this embryo.
1: Narrative. Yeah, yeah.
2: right. And her friend was like, "Are you crazy?" why wouldn't you do that like why wouldn't that would be the first thing i would do like you got to be positive about this you gotta you gotta know that it's gonna work and what what is so often the case is that people who've never experienced it and even a lot of us who have because we're humans will say things um from their point of reference um, and I think that's, again, mm-hmm. that's a very normal mm-hmm. thing, but for my friend's friend or my client's friend, her point of reference was she didn't, she'd never even had, like she wasn't, I believe she wasn't married. She was, she wasn't interested in having kids at all. So her point of reference wasn't filtered through a lens of grief and sadness and loss like my clients was her point of reference was from a very different um, I, I, uh, for lack of a better word, a cleaner place, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Um, but because that was her point of reference and she couldn't, she didn't have the, uh, my, my client's reference point. She just said what she believed to be true for herself. And that, that is so much of how toxic positivity plays into just ordinary conversations outside of like these buzz, buzz slogans and buzzwords that we use. Um, that's like the, the insidious nature of toxic positivity is that people use their self themselves as a reference point for how other people should live their lives.
1: Yes. Yes. That is so like powerful. And, and to move into, I guess, a more empowering note to end the conversation today, how can what is where where can we begin we've already said that we can begin first with acknowledging our feelings you said at the beginning and then the second point you brought up was controlling how we react to situations and not having an expectation that isn't conducive for the situation because most of the time we know that they're not going to know how to deal with you or the situation that you're going through medically speaking with infertility and loss and so What's a third point of reference we can focus on in order to go back out into the world, you know, slowly going back out into the world after COVID? And how can we, because you touched on it a little bit, but how can we further teach others what it is that we need from them?
2: Mm -hmm. So um, I'll share that one. And then I I want to touch on a couple of points for for individuals as they navigate it. Um, so when we talk about like educating or creating awareness or anything like that, um, for other people, I'm a big believer in boundaries, but I think that most people, um, don't really know how to set a boundary. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I, for me, boundaries are if you, then I, right. That's how that is. Traditionally and academically, how boundaries are kind of described. If you do this, then I will do this, right? Because it presupposes that the person has authority and agency over what they say and do. So an example would be like, um, if I'm not a smoker, you are, if you smoke in the car, which you're allowed to, right? You're a human being. You're an adult. You're allowed to smoke. If you smoke in the car, then I will leave the car and we'll drive separately. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a boundary. Um, so in conversations, um, number one, you have to decide, first of all, if a boundary is even worth it. Cause sometimes boundaries aren't worth it. Like if you're just dealing with a nosy Karen who you're never going to see again, uh, then like walk away. You don't owe that person anything. You owe it to yourself to not be upset and to not let it ruminate because people throw out toxic positivity statements. And then they move on with their lives. That's what kills me. Mm -hmm. These people just, right. They they're just throwing this crap out and then they move on with their lives. And then we sit and, and stew and ruminate for days and weeks and months. And we get so angry and they, they have never given it another thought. And so what is more important to let this person have continued power over you Or to to walk away and be like, you know what? That is much more an example of their problem than mine, right? They are not interested or willing to experience a a genuine human connection, so that says a lot about them. Totally fine. Um, Now, if it's someone who is closer to you and you are much more interested and invested in um, creating that relationship, then I think a boundary is very reasonable. Moms, sisters, <laughs> cousins, you know, family members are very uh, very uh, common what how do I want to say it? Um, they do it a lot, right? I was trying to think of a better word, but um they're the ones that throw out a lot of statements because they don't want us to feel bad, right. Our family loves us, f- friends love us, they want us to feel better. Um, so it's very much a question of like, If you're in a conversation with your mom and your mom's like, well, um, maybe you should just look into adoption. Adoption is a lot of great options, right? Then it's like, you know what, mom, when you say that, that's fine. You can tell me to adopt. But when you say that I'm going to end the conversation, that's not what I'm interested in. And, um, if it's possible, we can talk about other things. But when you mention that I'm going to change the conversation or walk away. Like, that's just what I need because I don't want to be reminded that adoption is an option, even though I've told you adoption is beautiful, but it's not for us, right? So it's setting up a clear expectation for what you're willing to engage in and what you're not. And just recognizing that either one of those things is okay, what what you're willing to engage in and what's not, right? Um, I think that's probably when you talk about dealing with other people, giving yourself permission to clearly outline what it is you're willing to tolerate and what it is you're willing to, and what you're not willing to tolerate. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And
1: I don't think that we should feel timid about helping people learn how to learn us, you know, especially when you're going through infertility and loss. So I love that. I love that. And if there's anything else you'd like to say, Emily, to, the, to our friends that are listening, um, I'll give you the floor.
2: Yeah. Um, for those of you who are using toxic positivity against yourself, I've got three things. Feel your feelings. Sit with it. Sit with it. Sit with it. It's going to feel terrible, but I guarantee you it's going to feel less terrible than when you're telling yourself you should feel a different way than you actually feel. So allowing yourself the opportunity to feel what it is you're genuinely feeling without trying to force it away. Um, Another thing is remember that feelings are not mutually exclusive. Our brain thinks of things in terms of black and white, yes and no, right and wrong, right? But that is not how we experience life. Life is not black and white like that. And so healthy positivity actually acknowledges the authentic human experience it rejects the all or nothing premise of our brain, right? It holds that there can be two things that occur simultaneously. So when I was going through, um, when we had our failed transfer, I allowed myself to feel sadness over the failed transfer while feeling gratitude about my, my, the children that I do have. And I didn't need to guilt or shame myself because I wasn't feeling gratitude or that I was feeling sadness, right? So both ways. Um, And then in some ways, especially when you're going through infertility and IVF, I think that we get into trouble when we don't plan for there to be pain. Um, I think we have a very... um, I think human nature gives us these like lofty expectations for how we're going to feel and how we should feel. Mm-hmm. And so when something happens that flies directly in the face of that, um, that is kind of when we turn that toxic positivity against ourselves. And so just being open to the possibility of like this, I, I could be in pain. This might not work. It, I, I don't have to force myself to believe it's going to work at no cost. Like Uh, unadulterated. It's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. I'm open to the possibility of both happening. And so if it doesn't work, it doesn't mean you didn't want it enough, but you're having a very realistic expectation for the the natural course of infertility and fertility treatments. There are times that it doesn't work and preparing yourself for that option rather than just trying to like, pile drive positivity throughout the process um, really gives you some space to be human. And that's all we really want. I just, I just want you guys to be human, that it's okay to be human.
1: Wonderful. Love that, Emily. Thank you so much for giving us your time again today and for continuously supporting us and just being you, because I think that Everything you said here is really good moving forward with summertime and springtime and larger gatherings and getting vaccinations and feeling comfortable going back outside to you know, mental uh, mingle and socialize with one another, family, friends and whoever else, and maybe going back into workspaces too. So I think that, um, everything you've stated here has just been pure gold, pure gold. So I appreciate you so, so very much again, for giving us your time and then let us know how we can connect with you online.
2: Well, first of all, Monique, it is always a delight to talk to you. I love your stuff. Um, that's why I keep asking you if I can come on because I love talking to you. Um, for me, uh, you can find me, at, my website is www.ivfthiscoaching.com. Um, I'm very active on Instagram. My handle is at IVF This coaching. And um, Clubhouse uh, is also a new platform that I have been expanding into. And I have a, a Monday open coaching call on Clubhouse at 1.15 Central Standard Time. So you can come in and I usually teach on a topic for the first 10 or 15 minutes. And then I open the floor to any question. It doesn't have to pertain to that topic specifically, but if there's anything that you're working through that you want some coaching on or some guidance, um, I'm there and there's usually at least one other coach and a couple of peer facilitators as well. Um, and then if you like the type of, Im- uh, the type of messaging that I have, um, my podcast is called IVF this and Every week I break down a coaching concept as it relates to infertility and IVF. Um, Just to kind of, I think one of the most important things that I do in my work is helping to normalize what your brain does and why. Because I think for a lot of us, when our brain goes haywire and it starts throwing out these terrible, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I'm worthless, things like that. And we don't understand why, like evolutionarily and 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 the the social programming that we have. I think that that's why we get caught in this spin cycle, and and we just feel like we can't get out. Like we all we're we're feeling miserable so much, and so that is kind of what I pride myself on is my ability to help people understand what their brain is doing and why. So that's if you want um, to follow me, Instagram is is my main platform. Join me on Clubhouse um, and then check out my podcast.
1: I'm going to have all of Emily's information in the show notes for you guys to tap and go and make it very simple and easy for you to connect with her further. Thank you again, Emily, so very much, my dear. And I'm always here. If you got if you got to say something to the people, I'm here for you. We can do it again,
2: girl. (laughs) I love it.
1: I love it. And We're here for you guys. And we thank you so much for giving us your time and your ear in listening to today's episode on Infertility and me podcast. Peace and blessings. If you enjoyed today's episode, friend, take a screenshot and let me know on Instagram and tag Infertility and me podcast. You can also reach me at infertilityandmepodcast.com with your questions, comments, and feedback.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices.